As I look out at the snow and cold, and I think about the series called Prodigal Family, uh, bringing practical help to our families, uh, I, I'm focused upon this story Jesus told about a father and two sons. And one day the younger son says to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Meaning his inheritance, which because he was the younger son would have been one third of everything the father owned. In those days, this was incredibly disrespectful to the father to ask for this inheritance. This was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But the father surprises everyone by dividing up his property between the two sons. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and traveled to a distant country where he wasted everything that had been given to him. And then a famine comes and he begins to work for a pig farmer. And he ends up hungry eating corn cobs from the pig slop. In this desperate situation, he decides to return to his father, having learned an important lesson. And when he returns, he will confess his sin against God and against his father and ask for forgiveness and ask to be hired as a hired hand, never to be called a son again. So the son returns to his father and when he's still a long ways off, his father sees him and his father runs to hug and kiss him. The son begins his speech, but the father's not listening. Father says there will be a celebration, a party, a feast. Get a heifer and roast it, barbecued beef. A son who was lost is now found. All this time, the older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. And as he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked, what's going on? And the servant told him, your brother came home. Your father ordered a feast and a party. The older brother stalked off angry and refused to join the party. His father came out and tried to talk to this son, but the oldest son disrespected his father by not listening or going to the party. The son said, look, for many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? This son of yours has squandered your money on immoral living and you go all out with a feast for him. The father said, Son, you don't understand. Everything that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost and now he's found. The story ends with the father celebrating with the younger son at the party and estranged from his older brother. So what does this word prodigal, prodigal family mean? One thing it means is reckless, doing something without thinking about the consequences. And this story has always been called the parable of the prodigal son because the younger son's behavior was seen as reckless. But we want to remind you the father, father figure is also reckless, loving his son, reckless with his love, reckless with his grace, reckless with his forgiveness, reckless with giving up his own rights. So the question is this, how might you and I be a little more reckless in our families like this father was in his? I feel like it's been a month since I've taught, um, because it has been a month since I taught this. Uh, I was down in the other end, and then I had three weeks off because of various snow cancellations and stuff. So I don't even know what series we're in right now, I don't think. Uh, but I hope you do. We're in a series about family, uh, and we're, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. 
But since you guys uh, all are from the Midwest, or at least you're here right now, you know a few things about being in the Midwest. What You know how to be cold and snowy, uh, and you know how to do potlucks, right? We all know how to do a potluck. We've been to them all before. You bring your dish and you set it on the table, and then, uh, and then the judgment starts, right? Oh, I see. I see what you brought. But then also, another thing that happens that I notice, and maybe you don't, but I bet you do, is the math starts. Mathematics has to come into play here because someone has just put down something that looks so good that everyone wants it. And everyone is like doing this calculation of like, how many pieces do you have to slice that in? What's the angle that you have to slice that pie for for all of us to get some? Or how many, if there's eight of us and there's 12 rolls, like how many rolls do I get? And that math starts right away, and everyone's kind of focused on that. And then what happens is the line forms, and there's two kinds of people, the front-of-the-line people and the back-of-the-line people. And the front-of-the-line people, it turns out, are horrible at math. They're just terrible at it. They have no idea. So they get up there, and they're just like, scoop, 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 and the back-of-the-line people are like, what? <laughs> right? You? If you don't know this, then you're a front-of-the-line person. I just, I just tell you that. If you don't know this feeling, then you're at the front. So the back-of-the-line people, they see this happening, and then some of the back-of-the-line people start doing this other thing, where they're like, I don't even need that. I don't need that role. I don't care. In fact, when I get up there, if I ever do, I'm going to have just a piece of celery and maybe a nut or something. <laughs> right? I don't need any of that. In fact, I don't, I don't even know why those people are eating like that. It's ridiculous. Potlucks are just terrible. People just pile their plates so full, and they, just, and they just eat way too much. I don't need anything like that. Muttering, muttering about what's going on at the front of the line, right? Judging about what's going on at the front of the line. This is what we're going to see in Luke chapter 15. <laughs> Some people at the back of the line in the potluck muttering, so I just want you to have that picture in your head. Uh, so Luke chapter 15, uh, we're going to be getting to the prodigal son, this prodigal family. We're going to be getting to that, but it's in this context of the whole chapter of Luke 15. So I think you need to start there um, when, you, when you try to understand what's going on in this parable. And these first two verses, I think, really set up everything uh, that is going to come later. So the first verses are, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now for the last bunch of weeks as I've been coming into this series, this first phrase, this first verse has really just gotten into my head. And, and, and has just been bouncing around, roaming around. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. I, I think you need to read the Bible in this way, and I've said this to you all, over and over. Stop thinking so hard about every little word and think about actually what's happening. This is, a, this is an interesting phrase. What's happening here? Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear him. Why? Why? Why in the world were tax collectors and sinners gathering around to hear Jesus? Now, I want you to actually think this question. Why were tax collectors and sinners gathering around to hear Jesus? Why? What was he talking about? How was he saying it? What was he saying? How did that work? 
I don't naturally think of tax collectors and sinners gathering around somebody who's going to be talking. I presume, I presume he's going to be talking about that there's a good way to live and there's a not good way to live and there's some people who are living in the good way and not in the good way and that you guys are not living in the good way. And who wants to hear that? And who wants to gather around that? And who's curious about that? Why? Why were tax collectors and sinners gathering around to hear Jesus talk? It's not how I think about it today, necessarily, is it? Is it how you think about it today? Do you think the tax collectors and sinners are gathering around to hear what we say? I don't know. I don't, it's not how I perceive it happening. I think we should at least consider that there's something about how Jesus spoke There's something about how Jesus showed his love. There's something about how Jesus interacted with those sinners that's different. I think think we have a tendency to think, well, it's on the sinner side of the equation. The sinners back then were good sinners, and we have these terrible sinners in our day. Like if Jesus were here today, this this wouldn't happen. His sinners were good sinners. Okay, I think you should at least ponder that maybe there was something different about how Jesus spoke, how Jesus loved, how Jesus interacted, that made it so that tax collectors and sinners were gathering around. Now, if you're an IRS agent and you're in the room today, I'm real sorry. (laughs) But at least you're here, right? I I think that when we deliver... His message, in his way, one thing we should expect is that tax collectors and sinners gather around. I think that when we deliver his message in his way, we should expect to have the same result. And I just think it's worth evaluating whether that's where we are. All right, so the next verse, the next verse is equally interesting. And I, and I again, want you to ponder it. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <laughs> so, 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 so Jesus has sinners gathering around wanting to hear what he has to say and the religious people are mad about that. The religious people are mad about the fact that sinners want to gather around Jesus and that he, and that he wants that too. This is what they're mad about. They're mad that he has them around. And they specifically say they're mad because he will eat with them. He will show them that he loves them. He will do things with them. He will, let's put it into some other kind of language, he will condone what they're doing is what they're thinking, right? This This is what these people are thinking. By being with them, by having them around him, by eating with them of all things, He's condoning that kind of behavior. He's saying that those are good people. They're just as good as us, right? This is part of what happens. We start thinking, wait, 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 wait. If you say the the sinners are lovable, then what about me? I'm way more lovable than they are, right? There's this comparison that starts to happen. And when Jesus gathers these sinners around, he's saying they're good. They're good like you. He's approving their behavior, they, they start to say. Now, I think, I think we have mutterers muttering that same kind of thing, right? It, whoa, 
You're just, you're just condoning. You're just accepting. You're just, okay, well, I just, I just want you to think about this. So here's, Jesus is attracting sinners to him, and religious people are offended by that. I want you to think about that at lunch today, in your small group. I don't have the answer. I just want you to think about it. I want you to ask each other questions. Was it different? How far do you go? What's too far? This is what I know. Jesus is attracting sinners to him, and religious people are offended by that. So, I haven't even gotten to our verses yet, but I would be super happy if that's all you get out of today. Like, write that down in your notebook, uh, and go home, and, and that's great. So now, all the rest of the time I have is like free time for me, because that's what I want you to know. Right? So now I get to do whatever I want, which is where I always want to get to. <laughs> Okay, so knowing that dynamic, knowing that dynamic right there, this is what Jesus is doing. He's standing here and he's talking and he's no, he's no dummy, right? He can see this is exactly what's happening. There's a group of people who are gathered around wanting to hear what he can say. And then there's another group of people who, in my mind, are just standing one step off, you know, just far enough so that they're not accused of mingling in. So no one from the outside would look and say, oh, look, he's standing by that sinner. No, they're just far enough off that they're not that. They're just far enough off where they can mutter. Look what he's doing, look what he's doing, look what he's doing. Can you believe what he's doing? They're just far enough. And Jesus sees this, and, the, and Jesus is like, okay, this is interesting, right? Sinners are here right near me, and the mutterers are right there in the next row out. And so Jesus tells three stories because of that situation. And that's why I say, when you come into this Luke chapter 15, you've got to understand this is where we're coming from. So he tells these three stories. One story is a shepherd who leaves the safe and secure and totally found sheep, right? The, the sheep are in their pen. They're ready for night. They're doing the, what they're supposed to do. They're the good sheep. They're, they're exactly how and where they're supposed to be. And the shepherd leaves them, and he goes out and finds the other one. Then he tells a story about this woman who's in her house, and her house, I'm picturing anyway, he doesn't say it specifically, but is nice and orderly and well-kept and nice and neat and proper. And then she tears it apart. She turns it from nice to not nice, right? She turns it from orderly to chaos in order to find the thing she lost, the coin that got lost. And then he tells a third story of this dad who is in his house and whose things are kind of running as they're supposed to, but the dad leaves this house, leaves this orderly place, and goes find one son who ran away because he uh, uh, wanted to party, and he leaves his house again a second time in this story to find this other son who wants to leave the party, who doesn't want to party. So these are the three stories. Now, I, my role for, for you is to look at this prodigal son story from this one angle of freedom, the freedom, the freedom that this father gives to his kids. So this father, it's just an astounding amount of freedom that he gives to his kids, to, to, to both of them. To the first son, he gives this freedom to... In, Take his inheritance early, which is a huge, as Dave said in the thing, that's a huge deal. I mean, I don't want to get too distracted by this, but even again, just put yourself in the story and think logistically. Now, this is a, this is a parable. It's not a real family, but think logistically. Like, how would that have worked if you were the dad and the kids came to you and said, I need a third of all your assets? We're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like, start selling stuff and stuff? Well, that's what the story says he does, right? Just so think logistically. This is a huge amount of freedom that this father gave to that son. It would have taken a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of uh, uh, embarrassment, as we've already talked about. 
And he gives him this freedom, even when he knew the father's smart enough to know this is not going to go well, right? This is, this is going to hurt. This is going to lead to negative things. This son is heading off into this other country, and, and, and it's not going to go well. And he's going to take a third of my assets, and he's going to just throw them away. Just as a, as a son, if you're a son in this room, don't do this, right? Don't even try. You're not going to get the kind of freedom from your dad that this father gives. I'm just, just telling you, right? If my sons came up, not a chance. Not a chance. And he gives them, the, and he gives the son, he gives this first son the freedom to completely embarrass the family. Ponder this again. He gives his son the freedom to embarrass the family. When it says that he goes and he ends up in a, in a pig slop, in a pig sty, this is no like coincidence in this story. You got to, you know, put yourself in the story. These are Jewish people. This kid goes off and he ends up with pigs, right? This is like the ultimate in embarrassment. And the father gives him that kind of freedom. He says, he says that is up to you to do. And the son took full advantage of that. He did squander it. He did end up in the wrong place. He did end up in a pigsty. And then the, the, the more amazing thing is the father gives him the freedom to come back from that, the freedom to recover from that. Not only the freedom, but the, but the sort of reaching out and going and getting him of it. He gives him the freedom to become a son again. But if you really look at the story, almost, almost, I won't even hedge it. The son doesn't have the freedom. The father imposes the sonship back on the kid, right? So this kind of freedom to this first son is amazing. And then he gives the second son freedom too. And you don't think about this as much. But he gives the second son freedom to also squander what he has. Now you might say, Kurt, he didn't squander what he has. The story says right in there, everything I have is yours. Yeah, but he's, but he's not using it. He's not taking advantage of it. He's running from it. He's not living in the house. He's not taking advantage of what he has, what's his. He's out in the field. Again, this is a parable. So uh, uh, I'm reading maybe a little more into it. But when it says he's out in the field working, one of the things I'm thinking is like, why? Why is he out in the field working? This is a family that has uh, day laborers. This is a family that has servants who actually live in their house. This is a family who is presumably of some wealth. Why is the son, the older son, the inheriting son, out in the field working till the end of the day? It says he's, he works till the end of the day. Well, I think one of the reasons is because he's running away. He's running away from his dad. He's not taking advantage of his sonship. He's like, he's the, he's the back of the line guy. Like, all right, whatever. My little brother takes off with everything. Fine. I don't even need any of it. I'm just going to work and work and work and work and then I'm going to work. Right? That same exact kind of attitude. And he just leaves the house in bitterness and anger and judgment. And he says, I'm just, I'm just going to work. I don't need any of that stuff. And the father gives him the freedom to go do that. Even though the father's like, what in the world? Why are you hurting yourself like that? No one likes salary. And then we have this other freedom. We have this freedom to have that hurt us. In the story, it's showing us this freedom that it, that it can hurt us. We have that kind of freedom. 
We have the kind of freedom to buy the things that please our eyes, to travel to places that we can't afford. We have the freedom to do destructive habits, to use people and substances and power and money to get our way. We're being given this kind of exact kind of freedom of the son number one. And like the older son, we have the freedom to put on a sour face and deny every desire we have and to wear paper-thin socks just to prove to ourselves that we don't need anything and to fill every minute with work and a grumpy face and to avoid pleasure whenever possible just to ensure that we never get trapped by it and never start a habit. We have that kind of freedom to just wreck our lives in that kind of way too. And we have this other third freedom that I think is this, this middle guy. He's, he's the son that's not talked about in the story. This freedom to just sort of try to not do either one of those. I'm not going to be too religious and I'm not going to be too irreligious. I'm just going to be this middle of the ground person who just does nothing. Just this guy who's never going to uh, offend anybody. Who's, who's, who's never going to understand their impact on the world. Who's never going to try to do anything that's going to make a risk or be risky. This person who says, well, if it's wrong for the one son to go the one way and, and go do everything wild, and it's wrong for the other son to not enjoy, I'll just be the middleman. I'll just be neither quite neither of those. So where, where are we supposed to be, Kurt? Like you filled the thing with all negative things. I think there's another way. I think there's a way that... that that, that you can be this other thing. That you can learn how to live in the Father's house. That you can learn how to enjoy the things that you have. That you can learn how to be the son of the living God. The daughter of the living God. I think the joy that you're seeking, and that is exactly what you're doing, is seeking joy. The joy that you're seeking can be found in something that you already own. The joy that you're seeking can be found in something that you already are. But too many of us, too often, we seek joy by doing these other things. And so I think that's what these kids are doing too. They're seeking joy. But they're seeking joy in ways that aren't going to find it. They're seeking joy in ways that aren't going to produce it. They're seeking joy in ways that, in fact, are going to produce the exact opposite of joy, and you saw that it actually worked out in both cases. The one son seeks joy through pleasure, seeks joy through doing all this uh, 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 crazy stuff, right? And what does he get? Does he get joy? Is a string of things that make you happy bring joy? No, not at all. No, not at all. That's not what he finds. This string of things that make him happy, that please him turns out to make him very unhappy. Turns out to make him not joyful. So the other son says, okay, I guess the opposite is true. Denial of myself is the way to make myself have joy. Do you think a series of denials, a series of self-disciplines, a series of cranking down on yourself is the way to find joy? It's not. It's not where this son ends up. This son ends up bitter at the back of the line muttering, standing off. So, I'm going to turn a bit of a corner now and say, okay, this is a parenting series. This is a family series. There's some things that you can learn from this, from this parable about parenting. So if you're a parent of a, of a small child, 
everyone is going to tell you, everyone is going to tell you that you need, they need to learn how to fail. They need, the kid needs to learn how to fall down, right? That's, you're going to hear that over and over. And I'm going to say the same but opposite. You need to learn how to let the kid fail. This is a thing that you need. You need to learn how to be able to give that kind of freedom. This dad in this story, again, it's amazing the amount of freedom that he gives. You need to learn how to give some freedom, even when you know, even when you know, this is going to hurt. This is going to fail. This is going to maybe cause some embarrassment to the family. Because you, you need to learn that your love is above these other things. You need to learn that your love is above, is higher than, is more important than their mistakes. That your love is above, more important than your embarrassment. That one's hard. <laughs> that one's real hard. You need to learn, by giving freedom, you need to learn that your love is more important than your embarrassment. You need to learn that your love is above, more important than your protective instincts. Right? The need to not, not let anybody ever get hurt, ever. You need to learn that your love is higher than, is, is above, your desire to control everything. Parents, oh man, this is a hard one, right? You have the ability, you think, it's false, you have the ability to control it. But you need to learn that your love is actually more important than your control. And these are hard to learn. Now, parents of older kids, what do you think you need to learn? The same, right? The same. Uh, so I would say one, the most important thing, if you're a parent of an older child, or so, an adult child, the most important thing you can do is go back a year and re-listen re to Alice Shirey's teaching on this, on this subject, parents of older, older children. And then, after you've listened to that uh, from a year ago, then you should go to her blog, which I think I have a picture of here. You should go to her blog and read the blog posts that she made. So get out your notebook and write this down. LiveTheWay.net and then look in her archives and find uh, this series from last, uh, I think it was like January, February, March, where she just unpacked that whole living with a, uh, being a parent of an adult child. And she just, it was amazing. Now, I, I highly recommend these. And in fact, I think, this is a little plug, I think the most listened to and the most downloaded talk ever at Orchard Hill is uh, hers on adult parenting. So you can just add to her score. I'm trying to get her to have the high score. Okay, but, but Saint, let's go back to that previous slide. It's the same thing. Parents of adult children. Here's the summary in case you're, I almost said too lazy to go back and listen to Alice, but uh, now you know what, I th what goes on inside here sometimes. Uh, it's the same. Parents of adult kids, you need to learn this. Your love, is, is my love actually more important than the mistake that my kid is about to make? That embarrassing mistake, the worst mistake ever? Like, if my kid did X, and where X equals the worst thing I can ever think about, which like this father in this story, the worst thing he could ever think about was the, his kid leaving this Jewish community and going to this Gentile community and feeding pigs and eating with pigs. If my kid does X and X equals the worst thing that is on my list of bad things, is it still true that my love is more important than that? That my love is above that? That my love is bigger than that? 
Is it still true that my love is actually more important than the embarrassment that that's going to cause me and my family? Big kids can embarrass you bigger, <laughs> right? I mean, if you have little kids, they can embarrass you. I mean, they do funny, embarrassing things, but big kids, no, they know how. Is your love, is your love more important than your embarrassment? Is your love more important than your protection of them? Uh, Big kids make bigger, dumber decisions. I mean, wow, you can see it coming sometimes. Like, really? That's going to hurt. Is, it, is your love more important than that protection? Is your love more important than your ability to control them? They're out of your control now, but you can still reach out, right? You can still, like, figure out a way. Okay. Non-parents. Uh, or, or, or just in everyday relationships. You have relationships all the time. It's interesting that these same rules kind of apply to people who are just your, your colleagues at work or people who are your friends or people who your brother and your sister, man, brothers and sisters, right? They can, they can really push your buttons on these things. In your relationships, are you willing to give? Are you able to give the kind of freedom that it takes to make this happen? So, if you haven't guessed by now, uh, I'm a back-of-the-potluck guy. <laughs> Not only am I a back-of-the-potluck guy, but I'm the back-back-of-the-potluck, you know, that judger who's just like, uh, whatever, I don't need it, right? And that's not just at a potluck, that's just in my life. Like, I start to, I start to do those, have those kinds of behaviors. Well, what is it for you? What is it for you that you need to do to help bring yourself into your love because, or into God's love? Because this is the freedom that's being talked about in this parable. God is saying, God is saying, there is a freedom for you to come toward me, for you to listen to me, for you to enjoy my words, for you to live in my blessing. And if you're a sinner, you're not excluded. You're, I want you here, I want you listening. And if you're a religious mutterer, you're not excluded. I want you here. I just want you to quit muttering. I want you here. I want you, I want you near me. I want you to learn to live in this love. All right, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for your words to us again. Once again, your words are so rich and so deep. Help us, Lord, to ponder some of these things. Sinners gathering themselves, wanting to hear from you, and religious people standing at a distance and muttering. What's that about? Help us to ponder the freedoms that this father gives to his sons and that you give to us. These freedoms to seek our own ways, to seek joy in ways that we think are going to find it, and even though you know, you know that they're not. Thank you for the sacrifices that you made when we embarrass you, when we do things that you know are going to hurt us. But then in the long view, in the long picture, bring us all back towards you. Help us to learn to, to live in the love that you offer. Amen.